We're busy with a series in our second week called God is for you. And it is a wonderful thought, particularly for those of us who live in other countries, countries that we didn't grow up in, and especially where we live, oftentimes you do feel like a foreigner. The word alien describes our residency. And it's an amazing thought to know that we don't only know some really good people that we can connect with and also some great Swiss people that we've become friends with here in Switzerland, but we also know that God is here. And um, scripture we read previously before we started our worship said that God is with us. And my friends, when God is with us, he is also for us. That means he is fighting on our behalf. He's speaking on our behalf. And uh, a related story in Switzerland, oftentimes because um, certainly I speak for myself, my communication skills aren't that great and try and speak in German. And when it comes to matters which are more intricate, more legal, it's very hard to have the right terms and to make sure that you're communicating well. And so you would have those people who would speak on your behalf. And it's a wonderful thing to have people who speak on your behalf. And that is what God does when he is for us. He speaks on our behalf. And sometimes we don't see it, so we can't acknowledge it. But behind the scenes, God moves and works. He speaks on our behalf. He acts on our behalf. He puts things in place because God is interested, he really is, in us succeeding here so that the gospel through us can spread everywhere. And so God is for us. And the scripture that we are looking at is found in Romans chapter 8 verses 31 and 32. And so please, if you were not with us last week, just take a moment to grab a hold of your Bibles And turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. And in our introduction last week, I said that if you could take one chapter in the Word of God with you, and only one, which one would it be? Well, it's almost like a no-brainer for me. Romans chapter 8 is that passage of Scripture. It is full of encouraging words. It's full of truth. It is full of those truths that I can really, really relate to, that I can get my heart around. It is one of those heartfelt chapters that when you read it, you just feel so inspired and so strengthened. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 times within this passage of Scripture in some way or another. And that's beautiful. And um, it's interesting, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So for me, Romans chapter 8 is a passage of freedom. It's a passage of liberty. It speaks about the Christian stepping into the freedom of the gospel that God has For every single one of us. And so Romans chapter 8 verses 31 and 32 says. What then shall we say in response to all of these things? And in the verses before. um, 
Paul speaks about the struggles that we have, the struggles with sin, the struggle with suffering, and also when the odds are around, um, against us, he said, um, God is very much for us. So he says, what then shall we say in response to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Well, this past week, how was your week? Have you experienced God's presence with you? Have you been conscious that he's been for you? Well, this was quite a trying week for me. Uh, uh, permit expired on Monday, and we hadn't received our renewed permits yet, and we had put in for a new permit, which is a permanent residence, a C permit, and we hadn't heard anything, and so I had to go and speak to the immigration. And many of you know who had been through it that it's not always an easy conversation, especially when you are trusting for a C permit because all of your conversation is in German, and it's between, behind a perplex, perspex board with people having masks on, so everything is muffed. And so I had this conversation with them. And, 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 and so at the end of the day, you know, they, they said, we really want to give you your permanent residency within seven years. Normally, as South Africans, we can get it in 10 years. They want to give it to us. There was just a slight little adjustment on Jenny's side that needs to be made. But I was so thrilled because as I was speaking to the people, the man that I've been dealing with for seven years came in and we talked and um, he was joking around with me and uh, it is no secret that I really struggled to get my um, C, um, uh, um, my, my B1 um, exam. I had to pass it when I came in one year, but it took me three years. And um, for normal South Africans, they only actually just need to do it after 10 years. And so it was a real stress. And so he was joking all about it. And what was so encouraging is that the lady next to him just took my file out. She opened it up and she said, Mr. Wallace, all of your papers are in order. Everything is right. There is nothing wrong. And I stood there and it was so encouraging because she spoke up for me. And she really encouraged me and she put a tick behind my name and she says, everything is good. In that moment, when she said that, it was so good to hear because we feel that we've done everything, but when you get to the immigration offices, so often is the case, they always find something that you didn't do or a paper that you thought you had given in that you needed still to put in and all of those type of things and so it was very encouraging. So amidst some of the struggle, there was the good news and they said, Mr. Wallace, you and Mr. Wallace, you're fine in the country even though you hadn't received your permit yet and what they were saying to us was this, we are for you. And that's a wonderful thing and I left there and although it was quite a grueling time, because it was very uncertain, when I left there, I knew they were for us. 
We were in the country, and there's the prospects of us being here for much longer. God is for us. How was your week? In what areas did you need to trust that God is for you and that he's with you? My friends, even though this is a wonderful biblical and scriptural passage that we're looking at in Romans chapter eight, my friends, practically, are you able to practice the truth that says that God is for you? Now, the most wonderful thing is that um, God is for you in a number of areas. And of course, we're looking at the topic today, God is for you in your struggle against sin. We're also gonna be talking about that God is for you and present with you in your suffering. And that God is fighting for you and fighting with you when faced with the overwhelming odds within your life. Believe me, sometimes living in Switzerland, the odds are overwhelming as we saw this past week. But the most wonderful thing is God gives us favor and that he's with us. Where do you stand with God being with you? Has your faith been extended towards Jesus over this past week because you know that he's for you and you know that he is with you? You may be saying to me, Piet, the problem is I know God is with me, but I have certain struggles that I have. And one of the struggles that I have is that of sin that I struggle with. Um, Yet how is God for me in my struggle against sin or with sin? And that's a great question because we see that in the book of Romans, one of the key truths is that Paul speaks to the Roman church about being free from sin and not being under the law and speaking to them that um, Jesus has placed us above the law. And um, this is a wonderful scripture, but the word sin is mentioned so many times. But then he says that where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Speaks about in Romans 6 and in Romans 7. And so sin is a major theme within the book of Romans, and overcoming sin is even a bigger theme. And so it is important for us to know that God is for us in our struggle when it comes to sin. Hebrews chapter 12, around verse 3, says that. Um, we have a sin that easily besets us. And that means that all of us have a weakness towards a certain sin that we can be tempted in, a weakness. And I think it changes over the years. It doesn't mean that we have a major sin within our lives, but we have a weakness towards a certain sin. And then he also says also those other things that so easily pull us down. So he draws a distinction, the Hebrew writer, between um, the besetting sin and about those things that slow us down. Now the question is, how are you doing in this area within your life when we talk about sin? It almost feels like sometimes when we talk about sin, the whole mood drops. But my friend, every single one of us can relate 
to sin. Whether it's, um, as the book of Peter says, the um, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or even the pride of life. And I think um, in these three areas of sin, we are tempted in when the devil comes and he tries to pull us away in our walk with Christ. And the question is, how are you doing in your life when it comes to sin? You know, I'm concerned that people are spending so much time on their computers at home and in different places, and I'm concerned about the sin of pornography. You know, is that a besetting sin within your own life? And my friends, when pornography gets a hold of us, it is very hard for it to let go. So I have had an agreement with the guys that I work with in the offices in the churches where I've been. And there's always one or two people that can take my computer and they can go on it any time or on my phone. Because I want to make sure that I live free from those temptations. Adam and I, we were in my office just on Friday and he's sorting some things out on my iPad. He says, can I take your iPad? I said, just take my iPad. I said, you could look at everything. You know, I've got absolutely no problem with people going through my iPad or my phone. Because my friends, the sin, when it comes to the sin of the flesh, is, is very, very powerful if we get into it. Where do you stand in relation to that? Or where do you stand in relation to the sin of gossip? You know, somehow we are very good at emphasizing a sin maybe that we are not caught into so that we can feel very strong and maybe superior to other people. But how about the sin of gossip? How about the sin of self-importance, which means uh, there's a sense of pride within our lives where you think you're better than another person. Spiritual arrogance and pride is a terrible thing. Within the day that we live in, we find that some Christians have become spiritually arrogant because they feel that they're much more spiritual than other people. My friends, believe me, because of the gospel, none of us can point towards ourselves and say, look at what a great Christian I am. That's arrogance. When we look at the gospel, there's humility within our hearts where we say, I am who I am by the grace of God. Would you say amen to that? It's not about how good you are. Because believe me, if the Holy Spirit wanted to, he could put his finger on sins within all of our lives that we don't even know that we're committing. So there's no arrogance within this. I want to know, are you struggling against a certain sin? I want you to know that if you're struggling with an area of sin within your life, it could be unforgiveness, not forgiving another person. If you're struggling with the sin of unforgiveness, my friends, God is for you in your struggle against that sin. God wants to help you through unforgiveness. God wants to help you overcome Pornography. God wants you to stop talking about other people in a way that is none of your business. He wants to deal you deal and help you to overcome the sin of gossip. 
If you are prone to exaggeration, that's lying. He wants you to be, he's there with you. He wants, you, he wants to help you overcome that sin. And so for me, when we talk about sin, it's not a negative thing. It's actually a very positive thing because God is for us in that. So often in traditional Christianity, when someone sins, we say, well, now God is turning his face from you. He's far from you. You know, he is angry with you, even to the point of hating you, and people just feel so lonely. My friends, God loves his children. When we sin, he wants to help us through that sin. He wants to help us overcome that sin. Your struggle against these things he wants to help you with. As a matter of fact, Paul, in chapter seven of Romans, says the things that he wants to do, he struggles to do. And the things that he doesn't want to do, he does. He says, I've got a dilemma. God, help me. And so, Paul comes to Romans chapter eight, and he speaks particularly to the Christian who has a very sensitive conscience. And this is what this is addressed to. There are some Christians who have no conscience at all when they sin. And that's another message for them in the word of God. And I wanna to talk to the Christians who have a very sensitive conscience that every time when they struggle, even in a temptation, and we know that temptation is not sin. It is when we yield to that temptation that it becomes sin. But certainly for those Christians who have a very sensitive um, conscience, and if you know me very, very well, I my conscience is very sensitive. On the one hand, it's a wonderful blessing because I deal with things quickly. On the other hand, it can be a curse because you know I feel overwhelmed sometimes when I sin. And so I want to address those of you particularly who have a sensitive conscience. As a matter of fact, Paul wants to address you in Romans chapter one. Verses one to four says this. Therefore, there is now in the present no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter eight, verses one to four. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. My friends, this is good news. This is good news for us as Christians. And so in your struggle against sin, Paul is saying to you, there is no condemnation for you who is in Christ Jesus. Now we need to look at a couple of phrases here that will really help you. The first phrase I want us to look at is, um, let me go back one step and let's also look at Romans chapter eight, verses 33 to 34.
bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That means he is pleading our case. And so those two scriptures need to go hand in hand. And so when we find ourselves in our struggle against sin, we've got to know that God is for us. He says there is no condemnation. So we want to look at the phrase, this no condemnation. We want to look at the phrase, what it means to be in Christ Jesus. We want to look at the phrase where it says that Jesus became our sin offering. And we want to look at the phrase which says that we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And then in the context of those four phrases, you see that God is for you in your struggle in sin and in your struggle to overcome sin. Because remember, it is always God's plan for you and I to overcome a besetting sin, a sin that is within our lives. He wants us to overcome it. Then the next season within our lives, there, there may be the sin of jealousy that comes in. And we struggle with it for a few months, but God is helping us to overcome jealousy. Maybe there is the sin of envy that comes on. You know, I want this which that person has, and we envy what other people have. And God wants us to overcome it. But these four phrases will help you to know that God is for you. So the first phrase is, there is no condemnation in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. He says there's no condemnation. These two words tell us of our possession in Christ. You see, we are sons and daughters in Christ. When we sin, he deals with us as children. He deals with us as us who are a part of his family. There is a sense of real endearment within his heart for us. And so uh, it, it tells us about our position in Christ. The term no condemnation is also a legal term. It means to be free from any debt or penalty. No one has any charges against you. When you are in Christ Jesus, when, when there is no condemnation. This is tremendous, my friends. He says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so legally, in Christ Jesus, with him becoming a sin offering for us, the law has been satisfied on our parts because what was supposed to come to us in a form of condemnation fell on Jesus that day when he died for the sins of the whole world, when he died for your sin. That very moment when he died, condemnation was dealt with by him personally. And so he took it upon himself. And so the moment we trust Jesus for our salvation, there is no longer any condemnation for you and I as Christians. To be condemned means that you are sentenced. And this, in this case, you are sentenced to death. That would have happened to you and I who are Christians 
If Jesus didn't die upon the cross, we would be condemned to, to death for all eternity. Our bodies will die, but our spirits will live, but it'll be in a state of torment. The Bible calls it hell for all eternity. Jesus took that upon himself. And he says, there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, Christians who don't understand the word, no condemnation, only obey God out of a sense of fear and out of a sense of duty. This is not nearly as powerful a motivation as love and gratitude. You may say, well, I understand that my sin was dealt with. I'm not under condemnation. But what happens now as a Christian when I'm, sin, when I'm sinning? That's a good question, isn't it? What happens now? And I'd love for you to put up your hand if you don't sin anymore. If you do, I will sit with you for five minutes and I'll find a sin in your life. What happens when we sin now? Are we condemned? No, my friends. The work on the cross is much more powerful than our works of sin. And you see that in Romans chapter eight as well. This is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says and he sums it up with a helpful illustration. He says the difference between an unbeliever sinning and a Christian sinning is the difference between a man transgressing the law of the state compared to a husband who has done something he should not do in his relationship with his wife. The husband is not breaking the law, but more seriously, he's wounding the heart of his wife. That is the difference. It is no longer a legal matter. It is a matter of personal relationship and one of love. The man does not cease to be the husband legally in that instance. Law does not come into the matter at all. In a sense, it is now something much worse than a legal condemnation. I would rather offend against the law of the land objectively outside myself than hurt someone that I love. You have sinned, of course, but you have sinned against love. You may and you may not feel ashamed, but you should not feel condemned because to do so is to put yourself back under the law. When you sin, you don't go back under the law. But actually, you put yourself under a higher law, which is the law of love. And we understand it this way. I know that when I hurt Jenny, I'm hurting the one that I love. And that's a much more powerful motivation for me to go to her and to say, Jen, sorry I hurt you. Would you please forgive me? As a matter of fact, I did it this past week. I hurt Jen um, one evening and I was strong with her and harsh with her and um, it took me about a half an hour 
And I went into the bedroom and I just said to Jane, Jane, I'm sorry for being frustrated with you. Um, it was uncalled for. Why? It's not because the law said I should do it. It was because I love her and because she's the love of my life. My friends, you never overcome sin by being afraid of the consequence of the law because you can try and cheat the law from time to time. You overcome sin by loving the one who freed you from the consequence of sin and who freed you from the law. You see, when I sin, I no longer am under the law where I'm struggling with the law and this is the consequence. I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do this. My friends, when I sin, I go to Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. We go to Jesus. And my friends, when we go to Jesus, he deals with us in the context that we are not condemned. He deals us with us as a loving father, yes, who disciplines us sometimes, just like an earthly father does his son and daughter, so that we can get strong to overcome the sin the next time. I understand that. But we go to Jesus. That's why Christianity is not a religion. That's why people, and we will look at the phrase in Christ in just a moment, who are not in Christ will struggle deeply with this concept. Because they've got to run to something that they know instead of the one who we should know, which is Jesus. And that is so much better. My friends, I would much rather go to the one who died for me on the cross, who showed his love towards me while I was yet a sinner and bring my sin before him. I take my chances with God any day. Because he's gracious, he's kind, He's strong, but he's loving, and I trust him with my life because he is for me. Can you say that at home? God is for you. God is for you even when you're struggling with your son. That's good news. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me hurry along. The second phrase that we need to look at is the phrase being in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're not in Christ Jesus, you're out of Christ Jesus, then there is condemnation. In Christ Jesus means that you have been born again, as John chapter 3 verses 5 to 7 tells us. Not of the flesh, but of the spirit. We had a moment or a period within our lives where we started to look towards Christ and he forgave our sins. And he performed a miracle within our lives where our identities were changed. I was a son of the devil before, but now I am a son of God. Before... I was a sinner, but now I've become a believer. And I use the word saint because I love that. It throws people. He changed my position in Christ. Anyone who is in Christ is no longer 
condemned. But if you're not in Christ Jesus, if you hadn't come to him, and if you didn't trust him with your life and for him to forgive your sin, to take your guilt and your shame away, my friend, you stand condemned in your sin. And that's the wonderful news of the gospel, that God desires to free us. And then the scripture goes on, and very quickly, he says, um, there is no condemnation for those of you who, in, who are in Christ Jesus. And he goes on and he says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be the sin offering for us. My friends, Jesus became a sin offering. The interesting thing about the guidelines for the sin offering was that it had to be made whether or not the sin was committed intentionally or unintentionally. The sin offering had to be made. And this is what happened in the Old Testament when um, you know, yearly people had to do it. They had to offer a sin offering. The party for whom the sacrifice was made would lay their hands upon the offering to symbolize the transference of guilt to the animal. Then the blood was sprinkled over everything because the covering of the blood brought atonement and the forgiveness for sins. The sin offering was offered over and over because it was only a temporary solution for sin. So there was a need for the sin offering to be made, but it was apparent that the law was not able to accomplish the removal of guilt because people were always sin conscious and even afterwards. Jesus, the Bible says, became our sin offering on the cross. What it means is that Jesus was sacrificed as our sin offering once and for all. And his blood was sprinkled all over. And his blood even covers us today. There is no condemnation for all of us who are in Christ Jesus because Jesus became the sin offering for us. When we understand that that is what Jesus became for us, we don't become sin conscious within our walk in Christ. What about this? What about that? What about this? Yes, if we sin and we know about it, we bring it to Jesus. 1 John 1 verse, uh, uh, chapter 1 verse 9 says, uh, we confess our sins and he is faithful to us to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. Yes, that happens, of course, but we don't become sin conscious. We become grace conscious or we become faith conscious. And when the Holy Spirit shows us a sin within our lives, we don't run back to the law, but we run to Jesus. And my friends, he comes and he gives us the ability to overcome the sin 
that is so strong sometimes within our lives. But it's not an act that we do by going back to the law. It is a relationship that we have with Jesus. And that's why, my friends, if you don't believe that Jesus is for you, if you don't believe that Jesus is with you, if you don't believe that you can talk to Jesus any time of the day, my friends, you will struggle with this concept. You'd rather want to go back into Old Testament law because that's what you see. Instead of in faith approaching Jesus, who the Bible says daily prays, intercedes for you, speaks better words over you, speaks words of freedom over you, and who speaks on your behalf and he strengthens you. That is the one we go to. And so I want to encourage you as you stand with me now. Would you stand, please? Don't go back into condemnation because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't go back, but go forward in your faith towards Jesus and he will deal with you accordingly. Let's pray. Father, we just stand before you today and we're so thankful that you are for us in our struggle against sin. Thank you that you do not make us feel little when we sin. Thank you that you don't treat us terribly when we sin. But thank you, just like with the Samaritan woman, your word was to her, who, he who is without any sin, let him cast the first stone. And then you say to her, go and sin no longer. You were for her. And Father, thank you that you are for us. And Father, I pray for all at home with some of the besetting sins that we are tempted with, sometimes daily, sometimes weekly, sometimes monthly. Lord, would you help us, even today, to bring those things before you? Because we know that there is grace and there is freedom, there is strength, there is the power to overcome. As we walk in this relationship with you, we trust you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.